business can be taken care of later and the business ends up being much richer because it's grounded in this trusting relationship. And keep in mind, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. And th there's a tendency to be more forgiving of another person when you like them because you know they care about you because you have that relationship. Hey, everyone, and thanks for tuning into this episode of Leading the Rounds. If you haven't already, be sure to go follow us on Instagram and Twitter for all of our latest content and giveaways. Today's episode, we have Dr. Opara. Dr. Opara received her medical degree from Wayne State University School of Medicine and completed a MedPeds residency at the Detroit Medical Center, where she served as chief medical resident. Currently, she's double board certified in internal medicine and pediatrics and also assistant professor in both the departments of internal medicine and pediatrics at Wayne State University School of Medicine. She's the associate program director of the internal medicine pediatrics residency and attending physician with the Wayne State University Physicians Group. She is certified in clinical teaching by the Stanford Clinical Teaching Program and an inaugural fellow of the Academic Leadership Academy of Wayne State University. She's passionate about mentorship and medical education. Dr. Opara is the founding director of an innovative residency curriculum called Health Equity and Justice in Medicine. She's also the co-founding director of the Wayne State University Global Health Alliance Program and co-created and co-directs the Global Urban Health and Equity Curriculum. Her areas of academic interest are in health equity, justice, social and structural determinants of health, global health, and interprofessional education. And she's lead investigator in multiple interdisciplinary, multi-center, local and international research projects. She has a long history of leadership and service to the African immigrant and African American communities and co-founded Africans in Medicine, whose mission is to unite African medical professionals to further the health interests of Africans living in the continent and in the diaspora. Dr. Opara is committed to activism, advocacy, and clinical care for disenfranchised populations and works vehemently to uplift them. She is the recipient of the Most Engaged Physician Award given out by the Detroit Medical Center in recognition of her excellent track record in community service, collaboration, and advocacy. She has also received Faculty of the Year Award. Welcome to Leading the Rounds. Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Leading the Rounds. We are really excited today to have Dr. Opara, but Caleb first, how is your morning going? It's going good. Trudged through the snow a little bit, but I'm all good. Yeah, I had to get that morning coffee, I heard. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Dr. Opara, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing well, Peter. Thanks for asking. I'm really excited to have this conversation. It's a great way to start my day, I have to tell you. I can't agree more. <laughs> so, why don't you start by giving our listeners a little bit of uh, a background about your history? Um, we, we know that you, you immigrated to America, so we want to know a little bit about that and how you kind of became a doctor and how you found your way into medicine. Well, um, you didn't tell me that I was going to say all that because you know what? I would have been ready for us to be here for three days. <laughs> <laughs> At least like just for the first chapter of my life. So wait a minute. Let me get my life like autobiography to read it. Now. <laughs> so I was born long, long time ago. No. Um, so I'm originally from the great country of the Federal Republic of Nigeria in West Africa. Um, I was born in what was then known as the Middle 
belt area. I was born in Edo State. It's now called Ben. Well, actually, it was. It used to be. Thank you, dear. It used to be um, Bendel State when I was born. It's now um, Edo State. It's divided into two: Edo and Delta State. Um, and my ethnicity is Igbo. Uh, we're Igbo from the east. Um, and I was born to two amazing um, parents and a, and a wonderful family um, uh, and community. So my dad, Dr. Joseph Nodim, is a, uh, a physician and a researcher, is a physician scientist, is an MD, PhD. And my, my mom is a, uh, um, she's an educational, um, education leader in, in, in children's education. And then when we moved here, she went to U of M um, in her older age, uh, advanced age, I should say, and got a master's in social work at U of M. I'm, I'm so proud of her. Um, and so uh, that's who I was born to. And we moved in my, in my teenage years when I was 14, over 20 years ago, um, because my dad got a position at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, and there was a research position and we had to be together. So we all moved. Uh, we're doing pretty well at home, but um, you know, it was an opportunity for him to, to uh, develop his, to grow uh, in, in research and in, in what he was passionate about. So we all moved here to Ann Arbor and I was like, God, why of all the places? I, you know, I, when I read about um, America, I was like, yes, we're gonna go to New York City. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I was going to go to LA, New York, you know, that's what I, you know, what I'd, I'd heard about watching the movies. And, and then we got to Ann Arbor. I was like, where is this place? Is it even on the globe? And um, no, but it was a wonderful place for us to be. I was, I, and what's funny is that it, it was very similar to where I'd grown up because I was, we, we grew up, uh, we were born and grew up in, on campus in Benin. Um, so we lived on the university campus and when we moved, we moved to the university campus. It's called uh, uh, Family Housing in Northwoods, the Northwood Four and Five. I think we're in Northwood Four, North Campus U of M. So uh, it was just similar. I was like, oh my, I just went from like the same to the same, except like, you know, very, very different looking people. So that was uh, the culture being different too. So um, yeah, that's what happened. And then, so I did, I went to Huron High, so River Rats. And uh, I did, uh, it's funny because I was 14 when I moved. I would have been a, um, a, uh, a senior at 14 and the school freaked out and was like, oh no, we've never had a 14 year old senior, ma'am. She's going to have to repeat the 11th grade. So I had to repeat the 11th grade so that I wasn't like a fetus in college. And so, um, and, and uh, so I did that. <clears throat> and then, so I was, I went to college. I started college at 16, which is very normal for us back home. But here it was like, you're still an embryo. Um, and, uh, but that was very interesting. Um, so yeah. And then after that, I, uh, this, I had always known I was going to be a physician because I look like my dad and act like my dad I was going to be like my dad. But then I had a whole identity crisis in college where I was like, you know, I, I discovered a part of myself that um, I, I knew was there, but then it really got ignited and set on fire in college, which was my love for the humanities, uh, because that's where I found meaning um, in political sciences and philosophy and psychology and anthropology. And um, that's where I discovered uh, my activism um, 
bone, so to speak, and then got to wax it and my leadership bone also because I, I quickly rose through the ranks and became a student leader in the various organizations I belong to and really agitating for change for a student, um, you know, not just student, but also just overall community well-being and and uh, and, and and advancement. Um, and so I got that 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 nurturing there. And so after after a while, biology, because at the time when I started, I majored in biology, just didn't seem that deep. <laughs> it just didn't seem that important. So I got this identity crisis, and then someone told me, you know you don't have to major in biology to be a doctor, to go to medical school. Did you know that? I was like, well, why didn't you tell me this whole time? And so I switched over to um, Afri African studies uh, uh, major and because I also discovered a lot about my story and my history that I didn't know because we weren't supposed to know, um, you know, true history or real history, just like there is this... Um, this uh, sort of, you know, the reckoning that's going on now in the United States around people actually discovering the true history of, of the US and the world vis-a-vis -vis colonialism, vis-a-vis -vis imperialism, vis-a-vis -vis genocide and, you know, and white supremacy and anti-black racism and everything that people are now learning and like, oh, what? I didn't know. Um, well, it's a global thing. And, um, you know, part of colonialism um, is to um, make sure that you erase the history of the people you're, 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 you're conquering, right? Because you don't want them to know who they are because then they will um, gather together and unite and, and, and kick you out. So we weren't taught a lot about um, who we are. We we're taught enough to know ourselves, but if you weren't in touch with the, we call them griots, the storytellers in your community who would tell you the real story of who you are and where you come from, and you just depended on the school, good luck um, in terms of really knowing the history. And so, so I learned that here. And so I, I, I did know how I ended up in a certain class, African-American literature. Um, There's a whole story to how that happened. And I remember the book, it was um, the narrative of Olauda Equino, who was the first enslaved person in the US to have uh, published a book. And I remember telling my dad about it and he was like, oh no, that's not how you say the name. It's not Olauda Equino, it's Olauda Equino. And that, that, accent I was like huh what's that about he's like he was Igbo I was like what how is that a huh and I was I I it blew my mind and I had to know I had to learn more how did Igbo people end up in the U.S. how were they enslaved and what is even that and 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 so it just really exploded I and so I just threw myself into learning history um African history American history world history how how is how is what is how did it come to be you know how how is it that how we are right now how did we get here why did we get here and so in african studies you do all that but within an african context but it ends up being like really the world context you learn everything and you draw the links and the connections so that that became my major and, and while i did pre-med you know got admitted to wayne state continue to grow in terms of I always found myself in in various like positions to advocate for 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 some kind of form of justice and having the words and the tools to do that you know always found myself in those situations I always did um, and part of that is something important because uh, you asked me about you know how I came up 
Uh, so in, in my family, um, in, among the Igbo people, and this is actually true for a lot of um, Nigerian and, and African um, communities, uh, there, is, there is importance to birth order. Like when you, what your birth order has some, you know, um, um, uh, significance. And so I'm the first child and I'm the first girl. And the first girl has a title, she's called the Ada. And the Ada is a, is a very powerful title for all your life. Um, you, it's a title of honor and, and responsibility and respect. You are not the natural leader of your home and your community. You're expected to kind of maintain a balance in your home. You're, you work with your parents to manage the family and, and even the larger family, not just the smaller family. Um, and I think those expectations and though that, that, that kind of, that, that, being injected to a lot of the ways I was engaged from a, from a very early age, ex having very high level conversations and, and decision-making from a very early age on, all those things influenced um, to a large degree, you know, how I found myself navigating various societies, including this one, in terms of always finding myself in a situation where I was either creating something, developing something, working with people, solving problems, helping making decisions and things of that nature. And that just continued throughout medical school. And when I decided to become an internal medicine pediatric physician, um, uh, you know, that also <laughs> flew, that, that bubbled into that. And that was also why I chose that because I was like, there is no way I'm gonna go to any part of this world and not be, able to help somebody because of their age, right? Because they're 18 or because they're 20. I'm like, eh, sorry, I don't do that. I'm babies only. Or because they're three. I'm like, oh, sorry, I can't do that. You know, I just deal with folks who can, um, you know, write and spell their name. I know their address. Um, and so, so, so I, I just, that just was, didn't sound right to me um, because I knew that I wanted to be uh, of, of service, of use, to whomever, wherever in, in the world. And this is what influenced, you know, me choosing uh, MedPeds. And I also knew I loved relationships. I love building long-term relationships. And um, I love, um, I love talking. <laughs> you can tell uh, by how long this answer is. And you, <laughs> you, you know, and, and I love, um, I just, I just love people, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everything in between is just, is a, is a, is a pleasure. Uh, you learn something from every encounter. So, so that's, that was the, the deal. And of course, naturally in residency, I became chief resident. Um, and then after that, joined as faculty and have started a number of initiatives, which we can talk about later, but including our global health program here at Wayne. So, so that's um, uh, the long and the long of that question. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm happy to kind of uh, dig deeper in any, any aspect you, you want to you want to uh, excavate further. One of my best friends is actually from pretty close to you. Uh, sorry if I pronounce this wrong, but uh, Ikulumili. It's very close to you in Nigeria. I just looked it up on a map since you mentioned where you're from. And he moved over to the U.S. Um, for his undergrad. And so I know for him culturally, it's been it's been very different. And it sounds like from your experience, you almost take in moving to the U.S. as a way to learn more about where you're from and dive deeper into your culture. And that's helped shape who you are and who you are as a leader. So what I'm wondering is what traits and what specific areas of your identity do you think learning more about that culture and learning about 
where you came from has allowed you to be maybe a different leader than the stereotypical, you know, leaders we see in, in Western culture and in the U.S.? Great question. Um, I would say that for me, um, I w- the way I would frame the first part of your question is, um, for me, is, is that it, it didn't have to be that way or it didn't have to take me coming here to then learn more about myself. But one of the happy side effects of me coming here was that I had the opportunity to to learn more. And that was, that was really a blessing through being part of um, uh, a large and um, established and an old liberal arts program as that, which you get at a place like University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. That's not always everyone's experience. And also the people that you meet there because you have people from everywhere and and you have amazing teacher professors and teachers. And I mean, that was the best part was the professors and teachers, the African um, and African diasporian professors and teachers that then were able to teach me about, you know, more of, of where I, I was coming from. So, you know, and things are changing now. I have to really give credence to that. Now um, there's an explosion, especially among the youth to really agitate, to, to, to learn their histories and stories and, and to leverage them to moving our, our country and our, our, our societies forward in, in, a, in a real way, in an equitable way, in a just way. That's happening. And so I'm very proud of that. So having said that um, to your question, Caleb, if I can uh, re- rephrase it in a way that to make sure I, I'm understanding it, um, which is that what is it about knowing who you are and knowing your culture, knowing your story um, helps to make you, uh, lends itself to developing your leadership right style, if I might say so. And maybe that is in contrast to what is um, generally accepted as quote unquote leadership here in in a Western um, um, framework. Okay, so I'll say like for me, one of the beautiful things is like the, um, again, I don't speak for all Africans, I don't speak for all Nigerians, I barely speak for all members of my family, okay? So, but but I would say that um, there's a general sort of non-Western approach, and this is for common in Eastern and, 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 and African Asian type uh, communities, uh, both old and, and, re- and new, um, uh, modern and, and, and historical, um, where is this idea of communality and relationships and intersectionality and connections um, being a sort of an ethos, okay, written into the culture. You are not alone. It's non-individualistic. You have to think about the good of the whole while you're thinking about your good. Pardon me. Uh, Things are not compartmentalized in this like table matrix. It's, it's more circular and connected. It's non-linear per se. It is important to look to the past and connect the past to the present to move to the future, right? We don't just forget about yesterday because we're in today. What happened yesterday is totally informing the today and totally will inform tomorrow if we are blessed to reach it. Um, and then also reverence for the metaphysical, right? The spiritual, the the non, um, you know, the the, yeah. The, the intangibles. So these are some, I think, beliefs, um, some values um, that is written into the ethos of, um, of, 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 of my culture 
and that is shared by many shared in many parts of the world that I think really inform then the type of leader that I found myself um, uh, being um, today and 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 in my in the in the course of my story, I value relationships. Um, uh, over efficiency, whatever the hell that means. Um, it, you know, I, I, I'd rather take the extra time it's, that's needed to build strong relationships, even though it takes a time in the short term, it saves time and, and costs energy and costs and other, you know, um, other um, collateral you know, cost <laughs> in the long term, um, and you know, and uh, so so relationships are very important uh, to me, and so th that also builds trust and allows for people to then, so you know, absolutely as a physician, that's critical. But in every sphere, you know, I'm, you work your colleagues, you're working with people, you're taking care of patients, you're you're needing to advocate up, down, laterally, otherwise. So this idea about caring about, well, you know, like Caleb and Peter, how you started, how are you doing? How are you as a person? I know it's sort of a, a, a just a courteous thing that professionally co professional courtesy that we exert to each other but really really how are you what's going on um and caring about that first and then the business can be taken care of later and the business ends up being much richer because it's grounded in this trusting relationship and keep in mind we're human we're going to make mistakes and th there's a tendency to be more forgiving of another person when you like them because you know they care about you because you have that relationship so that's one of my the traits and you know I always bring history into a conversation and into a, um, uh, you know, into my analyses of, of events because it totally impacts what's going on now. And, and that's one of the values, I, I the, the, the types of value I know I add in the various circles I find myself in is to, to remind the group, wait a minute, there is a reason why we are doing this or why we are here to always go back to mission, to purpose, um, to the history, bringing the history so as to keep there the course and keep us um, uh, straight. Um, and I mentioned a few other you know, things, you know, the intersection and interconnections. I always look for those. Wait a minute, this is not happening in a vacuum. There are things informing and influencing this issue. So let's do a root cause analysis where, what else is going on here that is informing this issue, this problem that we're trying to solve or, you know, whatever it might be, because that's probably what we should target rather than staying surface. You know, this might just be the tip of the iceberg. We need to go to the bottom uh, and of the ocean and figure out where it's coming from so that then we can do a real solution rather than superficial solution, short-term solutions. And then we find ourselves here next week, next month, next year. So, um, so these are some of the ways that, uh, you know, uh, and then of course the spiritual piece, you know, I, that's, a, that's a, a value for me. And it just helps me in terms of perseverance. It helps me in terms of dealing with when, when it gets tough, when the barriers come up, when there are challenges and the fortitude to withstand that and, and, and get through it and come out on the other side. Um, I absolutely attribute um, a, a, a faith system and of course my, my support network and family um, for, to that. So these are the ways that I would say those um, 
cultural um, uh, values, um, ethos, and being well grounded in where one is from and, and the values in that, in that context and how those things inform leadership, at least for me. I know you studied the role of resiliency in global health, and that's something I, I'd like to unpack maybe a little bit later. But I, I also want to unpack the idea of you being the Ada in your family and <laughs> how that specific identity has really driven you to adopt this idea of building relationships first, business second. Mm-hmm. Um, like do you, I guess, do you find yourself being the Ada as a leader? Um, mm-hmm. And like, how is that? Like, I guess that's, that's something very unique to your cultural capital. Mm. to use the term from that HBR article. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, how, is this, how has that identity specifically helped you um, in your roles as a leader and as a team player? Mm-hmm. Oh, first of all, uh, kudos to you, Peter. That was a sweet way to pull in the article. I, <laughs> that was smooth. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, and oh, what a wonderful question. I need to write that question down. I think that was that's a I think that's like one of the best questions I've received in a long time. Oh, how has my role as an ADA shaped as cultural capital shaped the way that I I, um, I navigate the various spaces, you know, mm-hmm. leadership spaces. And I would say, um, oh my gosh, in so many ways. Um, and I'll tell you how it I've had to uh, to 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 massage it too, because again, nothing is perfect. Um, and kind of tone down a bit again to be an effective leader. Okay. So what that, you know, I kind of um, referred to it earlier. So in various spaces, I find that, <laughs> you know, I would tell you, so in my global health um, organization that I'm part of, you know, there are different meetings. Um, and so I'll tell you about the one yesterday. I think it's important sometimes to use stories. So um, yesterday we had a meeting about our, our, our graduation. And um, what, what kind of speaker should we get for graduation? And one of our members uh, brought forth an idea and the, the theme uh, was gonna be on, um, on, on togetherness uh, because that was the, the topic of, of the, um, the, the speaker, what the speaker's latest was on. And I looked through the, uh, the, the summary of the book. I, I, I hadn't read the book before. I'm familiar with the speaker, but not, the, not um, their book. And I saw it was talking about, you know, how to combat loneliness and, you know, and different practices, you know, connecting with others, practicing mindfulness, you know, self-care, that sort of thing. And I thought to myself, is that the message though, that this is a beautiful and important message, but what is the message we actually want to, when we think about our graduates from our global health program, what is it that we want to impart upon them as they go into the real world as global health practitioners? What do they need to hear to know so that when they by t- when they wake up tomorrow as newly minted global health practitioners from this program, um, they are one step closer to being prepared to do that and take on this world that we are now in. Is is that the message? per se, is it? Maybe it is, but is it? And and that's what I brought up, you know, to, to remind us as a group, why are we doing this? This is a good idea, but is it the best idea? Is it the most effective idea? 
is it the is it the the idea that would get us closer to the aim to the goal what it ultimately is our objective here and is therefore this speaker of this topic uh, the best strategy to get us there and that's what I always do as the other is to remind from, you know, within the family structure, within the community structure, you know, okay, family, okay, folks, you know, when folks start getting all into, you know, oh, that's exciting, that's interesting, oh, I'm, I'm feeling bad, you don't like me, shut up, and you know, you know how family goes, and is to bring folks back to the center, why are we here, what is the, re what is the purpose that we are trying to achieve, and therefore, what is the best strategy to get us there? Let us remember why we're here. Let us remember how we got to be here and use those um, that knowledge to strategize towards the best way to get to there, whatever there is. Um, and then to, and to do it in a way that brings in everyone's voice and doesn't make anyone feel left out um, and value the voices in even the baby. Okay, and, and still say, well, even though the babies are okay, baby, what's your contribution? Wah, wah, great contribution, baby. And then we move forward. But the baby feels good. She got her voice heard. <laughs> and an idea may not make any sense. Um, but it's not really about the idea as much as the person that provided the idea and making them feel valued, even if the idea was trash, frankly speaking, and that's fine. But it's just the valuing of them. And sometimes the job of the other is to turn the, the trash idea to something of value. Well, wow, no, well, I see where you're coming from with that, but I'm wondering maybe you mean to say this and just turning it around. And so in, in the conversation last day, no, the, that idea was not trash, by the way, just to, I want to make that clear. It was a wonderful idea. It was a great idea. But I had to wear the hat of always think to think about why, though, are we here? What, what, what is the purpose of this ceremony? What is the goal we're trying to achieve? What, the, the, the real purpose are our graduates and what is the message therefore we need to impart upon them so that they can leave out here and they can feel a little bit more confident, a little bit firmer, a little bit hopeful around their role as global health practitioner in, in, the, in 2021 earth, right? In the world that we find ourselves in with all these challenges vis-a-vis -vis the pandemic, racial injustice, climate change, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So growing, um, uh, growing uh, uh, gaps and, and, and in wealth and health. And so, so how do we make that message? And is togetherness, quote unquote, the, the, the answer? Well, if not, how could we make it the answer, right? And so again, to offer value to who was, making the suggestion, I, 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 I can see how that message, the way that is being presented can land in a way that might not feel like it's really listening to what's going on around us. So can we take that idea and, and turn it around and present it in a way that we can leverage togetherness as a tool for change? Right. And how about that perspective? And so can we communicate to the speaker to do that? Right. So that's so that's what that is how an other sort of like 
handles that to still make sure that everyone feels valued to remind everybody about why are we here what is the goal what is the mission how we got here and then use all that to create strategy to achieve the the purpose for whatever that that um gathering is does that make sense and and in so doing keeping in mind that you still have to maintain relationships and then move forward. So I was going to say, like, when is that, when can that be challenging? And that is, I've had to learn some of the lessons moving forward as the other. It can get very easy to fall into this, um, this role of always being the problem solver, always being the decision maker, always being the one with the answers, feeling, and then hubris is always a risk, pride, that you are the, end all be all um and then you don't listen very well and so i have had to simultaneously work on that right because it's very easy to be the ada in these ways and then and just kind of live life and uh, like that but you have to i've had to learn to step back oftentimes okay because that i said i do all these things don't get it twisted that i'm always listened to because <laughs> i'm not um uh, and, and I've had to understand that that's my role is not to have all the answers all the time um, to all the problems. And, and, and a lot of times I don't. Um, and, and so there's some humility that needs to come with that. Right. Um, and, and, and also sometimes it's OK to just back off, just let people be and, um, and, and be present as a support. Um, and sometimes it's OK to just shut up and listen. And so these are the these are some lessons also that have that I've had to massage what Ada means to also kind of peel apart some nuance around those areas that sometimes it also means stepping back, right? Um, and I've had to do that on on many occasions as well. I love that you brought up maybe the negatives of that trait within yourself and that identity because I think so much of being a leader is realizing that we have flaws and trying to help improve those and adapt those. So I wanted to ask you another question about that. Do you have a method or a way set in place to address maybe some things that you're struggling with, whether it's like choosing a time to self-reflect or just listening to the people around you who might give you, you know, hey, you're not dealing with this the way that that you should be or, or might call you out on it? Do you have a way set in place to deal with those things? Or is it just being open to realizing that you're not always right and and taming down that hubris, like you said. Mm-hmm. It's all of the above, Caleb. So I try to have, um, to practice uh, mindfulness meditation. Um, so my uh, faith background is in Christianity. Um, uh, I'm not the most religious person and at all. Don't, don't get that twisted. I, I could be doing much better in my faith journey. Um, so, but, but growing up in, in Christianity, you know, in, in the church that I did, you know, you learn to pray, 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 pray. But I did, maybe if I paid more attention, maybe the, the pastor did say you should also shut up and listen. I just didn't pay attention, but I did learn to do that. So <laughs> I did, I learned later on in life that you should sometimes prayer. I think Catholics, Catholics are better at it, which by the way, I was born and raised Catholic and then later sort of became more non-denominational. Um, but now in my older age, I'm like revisiting Catholicism. I'm like, man, they got some a lot of things right. Why did I not know that? 
And one of the things that they do very well is just quiet meditation. I love that. I love that so, so much. Um, and I think that's a great way to build self-awareness. I think self-awareness is like one of the most important traits of, a, of anybody who, of everybody, because I believe that everyone is a leader. You already are. It's just a question of, oh, do you have a title? Do you have, you know, a role? But everyone has lead. You, if you have a, you know, your qualities as a person, it's just a question of that decision to apply to a, to a problem where uh, solving a problem where you're at to lifting people up around you. I mean, that's, you know, it, honestly, um, I, I, you know, it's leader, 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 but it's like, okay, you can't, everyone, I teach my little ones, I have a seven, pardon me, a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old. And I'm like, you are a leader, you know, you are. When you see your sister hurting and you go tell her sorry and help her feel better, that is leadership. When you, um, you know, you see you, a sock is on the, the floor and it's supposed to be in the hamper, you pick it up and put it there, you solve the problem, that's leadership. You know, in the first example, you've lifted somebody up, you've encouraged them, you've inspired them to feel better about themselves, that's leadership. So I, I think I wanna make sure that's clear. You know, I have all these titles and all that, but you know, you're a leader way before you get the title, you know, um, and, and you'll be a leader way after the title, by the way, because it's temporary. So I, I, I want to make, make that to be clear. But going back to um, to what you to ask, I think self, self-awareness is so key. That's a huge part of mat- maturity. Um, to, and, and I think one way to, to, to um, cultivate that, um, Caleb, as you, as you ask, is, is mindfulness and mindfulness practice, quiet, just whatever it might mean to, everyone has a different um, way of doing it. Uh, for me, it's just staying quiet, absolutely, in my room for 30 minutes. It's, I need to grow in consistency. I'm not very consistent, but that's, I aim to be more consistent. Some people do walks. Some people sit by the water, by nature, whatever nature is around you. I think whatever it is, but that idea to be by yourself for a period of time is so important. I have a, a, a friend who does an hour. I like, wow, it's awesome. But I don't think she has three kids and like 14,000 jobs. <laughs> so, but, 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 but I don't care if it's five minutes, you know, but you take some time for yourself apart. It could be in the bathroom, the, your closet. It could be in your basement. It could be on the roof, wherever your, whatever your deal is. And I think it's important to take that time and just be quiet and center and just be mindful. So I think self, and so that, and other self-awareness awareness practice is very important. The second thing, Caleb, you said, yes, I give people, people permission. So, so out of that self-awareness came this realization that because of my, my, my persona and the way that I, I, um, I wear myself in spaces, there is an intimidation factor for people that to give me feedback, right? So I have to, then it's so I, I have to take the onus. I take the burden off of them and make it, make it comfortable and safe for to receive for people to give me that feedback right so then that's my responsibility and so i make sure to be intentional about talking to people in the various spaces i occupy to to please give me feedback um if this isn't working for you if it's i sometimes i when i'm asking something i say it's okay to say no and then i you know i ask and you know and and things of that nature it's just to really help diffuse that that element um, because otherwise, then I'm working in the world just really un- non-self, uh, unaware of 
how others respond to, to me. And then I'm confused when maybe I don't get an expected reaction about things. Um, and I think that's why a lot of folks walk around just, I can't believe, I can't believe they, I don't, and it's like, have you seen yourself? <laughs> so it, that self-awareness is so key. Again, going back to some of the themes, relationship building. And so, um, um, you know, uh, I, I, I remember reading somewhere, I think I was, I was like in a leadership uh, group uh, and, and, and them talking about, they take um, time, as somebody was sharing, they take time in their meetings or, you know, to just share, okay, when I'm stressed, this is how I behave. Like that level to communicate that, you know, Caleb, um, when you, uh, I, you know, we're working together on a, you know, Caleb and I, we're, we're working together on a, on a, on a, on a project or we're just in a, an association or organization together. And so part of the icebreaker, part of that team building exercises is to really get that honest and, and transparent. You know, um, Caleb, when I'm stressed, I fill in the dots. And it's like, okay, Caleb, when I'm stressed, I get quiet. It's not, you know, it's not personal. Don't take it personal or, you know, and this is true. I'm telling, sharing with you, you know, I, I get real quiet or when I'm tired you know, really the stress really from fatigue, I get real quiet. And so, so it can alarm some people because they're used to me being very sort of effervescent and vivacious and, 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 and you know, and talkative and, and they're used to that energy. So whenever I'm quiet, people get start freaking out. It's actually hilarious. <laughs> Oh God, am I that, you know? And they're like, mm, yes. Um, and so, uh, I, so I have to then tell folks. So then they think they did something wrong or something, you know, it becomes a whole thing. And so being that self-aware to then communicate that, you know, is important. And, and be, that vulnerability then invites them to then, it like contributes to that environment of safety so they can then continue to provide feedback, you know, to me. So, so, so all the, all the above, Caleb, as you mentioned, and also, okay, just continuous self-development, reading books, attending webinars or, or, or courses or, 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 or um, you know, fellowships and, and, and programs around leadership and developing yourself um, to, so that you can also cue into your, your deal and constantly work, you know, work on it. So I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of your answer to Caleb. And before we close up the episode, because I know you got to go, you were talking about how everybody's a leader. And in a previous email you sent to us, um, that leadership is a quality that everybody has, and it changes based on the situation uh, and your experience and all of these things. And I want to know specifically how for you, how has working in the global health field expanded your leadership philosophy? Mm, mm. Oh, wow. That's a great question. You guys ask great questions. You go for <laughs> for this or something. Um, practice. <laughs> practice. I know it's yeah. Practice. Right. That's, that's the answer right there. The answer is yes. So, um, absolutely. So, so I want to start with, so I had, because when you sent me the email about, uh, the, the global health and, and bringing that piece in, so as you know, you know, majority of who does the work in, in global health, just like period, um, are, are women, but only 25%, I think it's 75% of the, of the global health workforce are women, only 25% or less are, 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 are in the leadership um, space. And so, um, 
there are reasons for that, which are similar reasons across the board for why there is um, there is paucity of of women in in the leadership space, and then for women of color even even lower. Um, and those they're mostly structural and systemic um, barriers in place. What global health um, has done for me and my involvement in global health, and I'll talk to you about what that is, and then tied back to this the, what I'm what I'm about to say, um, has expanded my network. Um, of experts in this space. Um, a lot of them are women and a lot of them are women of color and a lot of them are from all over the world um, and ha has expanded my network and understanding of what truly is important um, in this world. Let me tell you a story because I think this will really um, happen to, uh, ha bring it home. Three or four years, I would say four years ago, I attended a, a conference for, for, from the Consortium of Universities for Global Health. And it was in Washington, DC. The Consortium of Universities for Global Health is uh, one of the oldest, I mean, they, they, they evolved, they used to be called something else. I think it was GHEA, Global Health Education Council. And they evolved or they merged, but they became Consortium of Universities for Global Health. And so they're one of the largest, if not the largest global health consortia of organizations, universities, you know, that are thought leaders when it comes to global health and what global health um, is and what global health education um, sh could be, should be, what it is, what it isn't. They define the terms around global health oftentimes. So four years ago, I, at four or five or so, I had a chance to, to go to their, um, their uh, conference there. It was magnificent. I met everyone from everywhere in the world. Um, this was, you know, I know everyone's listening is like, what? You could do that? You could fly on a plane and go somewhere and talk to humans? <laughs> like, yeah. The good old days. I know, the good old days. And, and um, yeah, and, and I met all these folks and they were doing fantastic things. And they were asking questions and solving problems that I'd only thought about, but thought that, nah, that's not a thing. It turns out that it was totally a thing and people are working on it and they're doing it and they're they're form formulating questions and formulating solutions and they're getting together. And I realized one thing, I was like, oh, I'm not weird after all. You know, I have a community. There are people that are totally thinking the way I think uh, and, and doing it, not just thinking, they're talking about it, they're writing about it and they're, they're, they're creating <clears throat> knowledge and strategy and models and framework and the informing policy that impact people on a large scale. And that's what I always dreamed that I would do and be, but didn't really see examples of that. And I definitely did see examples of people who looked like me and spoke like me and, and so didn't think it was really possible, but I always felt um, caged in medicine in the traditional way that it was designed, which is very white, very male and very Western American, like European, American models, which was, was so constraining to me and frustrating because when when I pushed back, they would push against and it was much, much stronger, I thought at the time, you know, than I was. And then I went to this conference and I saw, wow, there are other people like me that are doing this and it's not so weird and it's not so different and it's not it's not crazy. And I knew I was cemented in that moment in my purpose. And I knew that, yes, this is what I'm here to do. I am here in this world to ensure, you know, that justice is, 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 is brought to bear as it relates to people of African descent, because that continent has been done wrong. 
and is still being done wrong today by the same forces that enslaved Africans, that instituted colonialism and executed genocide on that continent to and, and brought them here and made and developed on the backs of that continent is today. And I would not be made to feel less than for that. And I was made to feel less than, I was made to feel inferior within medicine and within academia for so long for believing and thinking that way until I went to this conference and met other people saying the same thing. There is nothing like, he, oh, there is, when, when they say representation matters, Caleb, Peter, it, it's not, it doesn't just matter, it is everything. When you hear and see yourself, you're like, I'm not, I'm not weird, <laughs> you know? Oh, I'm not that weird is bad. I love being weird in other things like, oh, I like eating chocolate with uh, habanero peppers. Like, you know, that's weird, but that's cool though. But I'm saying it's not weird to want what is right. It's not weird to fight for justice. It's not weird to um, to correct wrong. It's not weird. That's not weird. That is that is normal. What is weird is to not want those things. And so flipping the narrative to say, no, you're weird because you don't care about people. Why are you in medicine? <laughs> and so, so, so that's, so that was huge. And I remember coming back to my hotel room and writing in my journal for like ever, because I just poured out all these things that had stayed dormant in myself for years. Um, so that was one thing. And the other thing too was also because in my, I, I again, I talked about interconnections and, and, you know, interdisciplinarity is very key for me because I, I'm very clear. One um, discipline doesn't have all the answers. It, it, you have to collaborate across disciplines and sectors. You have to join hands and forces with other people. The other thing that was powerful. So I saw that too replicated so global health intimately intrinsically is that you know global health doesn't exist as one it's not just medicine it's not just physicians it is other disciplines within and outside of health is part of me nurses and surgeons and orthopods and and um uh, and speech therapy and the anthropologists and the <laughs> the social scientists and community members and the community health workers and the midwives and it's everybody at, at a round table, equal footing. Um, yes, we fight biases and, and we have power dynamics and privilege dynamics and there are dynamics of, um, of racism and gender uh, uh, bias and, and sexism also within global health because every field reflects the society it's, it, it operates within and is born out of, but at least we're having the conversations. And so I, and I wasn't having the conversations prior because there was no one to have the conversation with. I was speaking into the abyss. So I found my family. I found a family in global health. And since then my life was never the same. And then last year, no, it's not last year anymore. It's two years ago, so 2019, I got the chance to attend the Women Leaders in Global Health Conference in Kigali, Rwanda. And then I saw African women doing the same thing. And I just like bowed. I'd never been to Rwanda, which is East Africa. I'm from West. And I saw just these powerful women, people like Dr. Agnes Binagawo, and um, who, who is the dean. She's basically over the University of Global Health Equity in, um, in Kigali, like the only university like that in the world. 
doing amazing things. Again, asking different types of questions, bringing together different types of solutions, bringing all disciplines together to answer world issues like global health, um, uh, uh, climate change, um, global warming, um, uh, creating new disciplines and, and ways of knowing and, and being like one health, planetary health, um, and participating all this all over the world. And it was an example of what I always foresaw for my continent, which is to be a step, it already is a standard and a, a, a world-class standard, not the recipient of not to believe the narrative around our identity and our role in the world, which is recipient of aid and, um, and, and a place for disease and poverty to thrive, because that is not actually our story. That is a, a made up narrative that is, prep, that, is, that is manufactured and perpetuated to maintain the inequitable system um, and that continues to uh, profit and, and, and develop the West at our expense. So how do we get the power to take ownership of our narrative, to, to change the imagery, to change the narrative, to change, you know, of, of, what, of where as it concerns Africa and concerns people of African descent throughout the diaspora and begin to tell different stories about what, who we are and what we do and what we can do and what we do do, right? And to show that up on the world stage. Right to be an equal partner and not be constantly uh, forced to to be in a position of aid for every dollar that is donated, quote unquote, to the African continent, six dollars are removed from the African continent to the West to develop it. Her at our expense. So when we talk about you know when we have the narratives and the the stories around around Africa and around global health. What stories are we telling, making up or reproducing that are based on inaccurate and incorrect um, uh, premises and paradigms that maintain that inequitable structure that was again created, not by us, right? And so these are the people that I met. So these are the people that we, we and so like I said in Rwanda, um, seeing that for myself, especially the African women that are just unapologetically, just with such amazing brilliance, uh, talking about this and 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 creating these ideas. On and and they, these folks are in uh, these women are in government and they are in all kinds of leadership spaces uh, in the in the community, at home, in society, in schools, in health, in academia and the universities. And like I said, in government, in the financial sector, everywhere. Rwanda, by the way, is an example for the world in everything their truth and reconciliation process, their economic policies, their health outcomes, you know, they were able to turn themselves around in a few short years, that is unbelievable, by the way. And the way they've handled COVID is ridiculous. They've eradicated the bad boy in that country just by very, very targeted, coordinated, unified COVID-19 uh, public health responses. And so there is a lot that, we can learn, right, from the rest of the world, um, but we can't do that unless we ad we acknowledge and uncover those systems, inequitable systems, policies, processes, norms, ways of knowing, thinking, being, and acting that has been written into the way into our just how we just operate from a day-to-day -day basis and we just do it unconsciously and automatically, we can't really do that sustainably unless we acknowledge that and then we act, we're actively dismantling that. And that happens from 
you know, Caleb and Peter, from your school level, from a level as faculty, from a, an organizational level, like Wayne State DMC, uh, from a city level, like the city of Detroit, from the state of Michigan, the country of the United States of America, the continent of North America, <laughs> the world writ large, right? And I, I didn't even go even more micro, it happens in our family, in our little communities, our little counties, our little neighborhoods, and our homes, and in our own lives. Constantly checking our own biases, our own awareness or lack of awareness, and, um, and, 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 and rewriting them actively, interrupting them and rewriting them for, for a transformative way of living, and then translating that on higher levels. You talked about starting the conversation and then continuing the conversation. I think you did an amazing job today starting the conversation. And I know Peter and I both had a ton of fun with this. If people want to learn more and continue the conversation, what are a few books that you would suggest for people to look into and to check out as far as reading? So right now, um, I'm reading Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. If you haven't read this, you want to read this. Why are you smiling? Did somebody else say the same book? Yes, I'm smiling because our, our last person that we just had on the podcast recommended the same book. So it looks like Peter and I are going to have to buy it definitely now. <laughs> you are going to have to buy I'll it. Pull it up on, on Amazon. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, um, I do want to encourage you, if you are going to buy a book, if you could please... Um, if you could please uh, patronize a black owned bookstore, um, that would be great. And I can send you a link of those. Um, another good one is Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. Mm -hmm. So I read a lot of history because again, um, if you don't know why we're here or how we got here, how can you in intervene with the here? You know, And how can you define what there is, right? So um, those are some books that I can recommend i like brene brown oh um, my goodness and, um, oh by the way for your listeners that are in detroit you want to you want to read black detroit a people's history of self-determination by her boyd you definitely want to do that but i'll start i'll start with those i just mentioned and um the rest of it is the rest of it you mentioned patronizing a um a black owned bookstore we have a lot of listeners in Detroit. So if there's any that you want to plug right now. So yes, yeah, source booksellers. Okay, I'm plugging source booksellers. <laughs> <laughs> on 4240 Cass Avenue. And the phone number is 313-832-1155. I think I thought that was perfect. I've never plugged before. So that's my best like impression. <laughs> Yeah, so for all for all of our listeners in Detroit, uh, if you're looking for a good book and you want to support a local business, source booksellers. All right. Thank you for your time. This has been great. Thank you so much. No, thank you. You know it's fun when someone is like, that's okay, I'll be late at another meeting. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, was, I would just end with this, if I may. I believe in purpose. I believe it's important that we all need to kind of get a sense of what our purpose is. And it might evolve and change and shift in different ways as you get older and life happens and that's fine and normal. But I think they, I think we all like speaking of that self-awareness need to get in touch with like the why of why we're here. It was until I accepted all of who I was accepting 
my flaws and my weirdness and my all those things. Um, and in that moment, during in, in that those three days in DC at that conference and meeting people there re that reflected me and represented me how, who I was, and and then I and I fully embraced all of that. That was when like things started happening very uh, very very quickly. When we get to that place of knowing who you are, why you are. Um, that's what happens. You just, it, you, ugh. people are like, are you pregnant? And you're like, no, I'm a dude. Like, because you're going. Um, and so, 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 but seriously, and so I'm saying all that to say like, it's important to know that for me, I just bring it to two words, joy and justice. It's like, I fight for a move in the world in a way where I am constantly promoting and, 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 and fighting for, and, you know, justice and whatever that looks like, whatever that means in the various ways, but to do it in a spirit of joy. Right. And it's, you can't like, that's what gives it meaning. Otherwise you're just fighting fights and then you die from stress. But, you, <laughs> you know, but I feel like how Nelson Mandela lived so long right despite incredible just unbelievable none of us will survive um oppression uh is that he is that meaning right it's like it all has to have like a deeper meaning that that which is deep enough justice enough but this deeper human meaning that when you do overcome the injustice which we have to and maybe in different phases there is there is still Enough, there's still you left to enjoy, you know, this life. It's still only one we get at the end of the day. So I think whatever it is for, and it's different for all of us and thank God for that because we need all those different pieces. Um, for me, it's joy, you know, and justice. So when I joke and things like that, because it's what you do and it's the right thing to do um, for me anyway, and it's fun and it's important to have fun, you know, you have to have fun. Because again, you just get one life. I don't even know why I started talking about that, but that's just <laughs> for me. And I thought that well, maybe that's something I can say. Uh, you you <laughs> brought up that's one person. I don't know. Oh, nobody. Yeah. That's the okay. Well, I think I can't. Um, um, I can't go more than nine fifteen. I don't think I have the um, the excuse set up for that. I have a okay. I have a fifteen minute excuse, but anything beyond that, everyone starts looking at me with side eye. It's okay. Thank you so much for your this time, Doctor so Fara. It yeah. was fun, and yeah, and I appreciate great. you like having this conversation. Thank you. So that's all for today. Thanks everyone so much for listening to this episode of Leading the Rounds. Hopefully you were able to learn something new and get a better perspective of how we can improve as leaders. If you like our content, please subscribe and follow. We work to put out a new episode every other week. You can also contact us and connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Leading the Rounds or email us at leadingtherounds at gmail.com. See you next time on Leading the Round.